So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive their trespasses, others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Remember, as we come into chapter 6, that the chapter and verse numbers, the section headings, all of that, none of those things are in the original text. So as we begin chapter 6, we have to understand this is all part of the same sermon all part of the same event. It's all flowing from the same train of thought that, that Jesus is speaking. Jesus didn't stop as he was preaching and go away and then come back and start preaching and teaching something else. This is all part of the same message. If you don't have a reader's Bible, it's a reader's Bible, I, I urge you to get one. Uh, that's a Bible that is formatted without all the section headings and verse numbers, and it's just the book and the letter, or the letter, and uh, it helps you read through it without the artificial interruptions. It can be very helpful sometimes when studying the Word. So it's also important to remember this as we're, as we're coming into chapter 6, to remember because there are dangers that we have when we work through a text like this, like this sermon, which is two, uh, five, six, three chapters long, when we work through a text like this, little by little, piece by piece, there's a danger in doing that in that we might focus 
so closely on a particular sentence or a particular uh, phrase or a passage of sentences that we lose sight of the big picture. And that might cause us to, to overemphasize things that the Bible doesn't emphasize that strongly or to underemphasize things that the Bible doesn't emphasize very, or the Bible does emphasize strongly. Worse yet, it could cause us to completely miss the whole point altogether. Um, this happens all the time. People will take one verse out of, a, out of the Bible or one little piece of a verse and pull it completely out of the context to make it say something that it actually doesn't say. We talked about that a little bit last week when, when Jesus said that God sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. You know, people always use that verse to say that, uh, to try to explain away why or how it is that good things happen to bad people or bad things happen to good people. They try to make it say that God is just an even-handed God. And he, so he's, he reigns on the just and the unjust. He's just even-handed across the board. And that's not the point at all. It's not what that passage is saying at all. That passage is about the goodness of God, His abundant goodness, not only to those who are on His side, only to those who love Him and honor Him and follow Him, not only to those who are His friends, but also to His enemies. He sends rain not only to the just, but on the unjust. He's good to all people. And so in order to avoid dangers like that in, in you know, taking things out of context and missing the point, in order to avoid dangers like that, uh, we need to get the big, the big picture. <clears throat> As we do this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember when we started, I began with an overview of the sermon where I covered the whole thing before we went to look at it piece by piece. We've got to get the big picture. And so in chapter 6, Jesus <clears throat> starts here with a big picture item. So when we read this and we consider the whole thing, we come into chapter 6, he starts talking about practicing righteousness before others. Righteousness is a pretty general term. And then he starts getting into some specifics in the verses that follow. But we, we should read this, chapter 6, verse 1, and we should be immediately reminded about something he said in, in earlier in chapter 5. This isn't, he's not bringing up something new here. And you can see that when you, you begin the, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, all the way through the Beatitudes. Then he says, uh, you know, you are the salt of the earth in verse 13, light of the world in verse 14. And finally, he gets to let your light shine in verse 16. Everything from there above is all introduction. Jesus is introducing the Sermon on the Mount. And then from verse 17, where he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it, that's where he gets to the main body, the main meat of his sermon. And if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, you'll know that several of the things that Jesus has talked about, beginning in verses 17 of chapter 5 up until now, where he goes, you know, you have heard it said, but I say, and, and all the things about anger and divorce and loving your enemy and, and, and turning the other cheek and, and all those things up until this point, Jesus is, is reflecting on, he's expounding on what he has already laid out in his introduction. That was Jesus' introduction. First 16 verses of chapter 5, and this has been my introduction. So we come to chapter 6. 
practicing righteousness in public. And, and we were, should be immediately reminded of what Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let me parallel that with the passage we just read this morning, the big picture item Jesus gave us, chapter 6, verse 1. So 5.16 again, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. All right, and then chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. For if you do that, you're not going to have any reward from your Father. So which is it? Is it practice righteousness before others? Is it do good works to be seen by them? Or is it beware? Don't do this. It seems almost like he's contradicting himself. Like these are contradictory statements. These are two sides of, of two different coins, but they're the same, they're two sides of one coin. On the one side, let your light shine. Let them see your good works. On the other side, don't practice righteousness before others to be seen by them. There's a danger. He says, actually, beware. That's a warning. He says, you got to watch out. Look closely. Be careful about this, about practicing righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. That's the tricker. That's the caveat. In order to be seen by them. Be careful. So Jesus knows. You know, he knows the heart of people. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows their hearts. The Bible or the Gospels are full of accounts where it says that Jesus perceived their hearts. In other words, he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were feeling. He knew their motivations. He knew the secret things about them that only they should be able to know. Jesus knows. And why is this? Because God is the one who sees the heart. So we, we finish chapter 5 with a discussion about loving your enemies and turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and praying for your persecutors. And Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you recall all that, all that stuff, turning the other cheek and, and praying for your persecutors and going the extra mile, all that stuff is, is in the context of loving one another. It's done out of love. Love your enemies. Like we discussed, we, can't, we can do a whole lot of good deeds. You know, you can do a lot of good things. You can turn the other cheek and have a very poor attitude about it. You can give to charity and have a very selfish heart about it. You can do a lot of good deeds without any good in you, with a wicked, unloving heart. Paul very famously said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, if I give away all that I have, and I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. So what good is it? What good is it, Paul says? What good is it if I give away all my worldly treasures and, and I give my body as a sacrifice for your benefit if I haven't done it with love? I have no gain. I have no reward. So this tells me that it is possible. Paul says, I can give my body to be burned without love. I can give everything I have, all of my possessions, without love. It's possible to do great, righteous things with a wicked heart. And Jesus, he sees this very clearly in us. 
Oh, isn't there a temptation to want to be seen by others? There is a great danger in doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. It is so right to worship God openly. It is so wrong to want to be seen for it. Do we not see that in churches all across the land? Not only in our land, but all over the world. You know, it's like the one who gets the most emotional or the acts out the most. They're the most spiritual. This is the same kind of thing that was going on with the Pharisees. Practicing their righteousness in front of others in order to be seen. Our motives matter. And that's what you see throughout these verses, the 18 or so verses. So what are the dangers in practicing our righteousness before others? What, what do we face? What are we, what are we calling upon ourselves? What are we engaging in when we practice our righteousness before others in order to be seen? The key difference lies in chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus first introduces this concept of being seen by others. We, we see it in those last few words of that verse. He says, And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So I want you to practice righteousness before others, and they should see you do it and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not to you. Notice how he skips over the you. Give glory to your Father. <laughs> you don't get glory. Your father does. Skips over you. That's the commandment. We live life in such a way that, that our deeds and our words and our feelings, they cause others to say, God is glorious. Not Jeff is glorious. Not look how awesome Jeff is, but look how awesome God is. He is what a great God. That's the way I ought to live. I shouldn't want attention. I want to be pointing it to him, giving him attention. This is exactly what the religious leaders were doing in Jesus' day. They were saying, look at me. You know, and many still do this, and we see it every day or every week. And there's just a new scandal that comes out, or new, some prominent pastor, religious leader who gets embroiled in some scandal, and it's revealed that he is not living a life that is consistent with what he's telling everyone else they ought to live. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were outwardly saying, look how clean my vessel is. And Jesus says, inside, you're, you're just dead men's bones. Your cup is filthy. Every single time something like that happens, it damages the witness of the church and the world. It damages your witness because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And when one of us comes out and says, look at me, and then we fall, it damages our, all of our witness. Oh, you're one of them. Consider that the crowd that Jesus is talking to, in that crowd, there were people who grew up watching religious leaders, learning from them what righteousness looked like. Church, people are watching you. Whether you know it or not, your kids are watching you, your friends are watching you, they're learning. And if you say, I am Christian, they are watching you to understand what it is that Christian means. They're learning what righteousness looks like. And they were learning this from the Pharisees. And what did they learn from the Pharisees? It's an outward display. 
So Jesus, he's telling them, you be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. You love your neighbor. You, let, uh, you love your enemies. You, you turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile. This sets you apart. You be perfect as your Father is perfect. Now I've got to warn you in practicing your righteousness, don't be like them. So their heart wasn't to give glory to God or to love God in doing what they're in their good deeds. You know, yeah, they're giving to the poor. Is anything wrong with that? No, that's a good thing. We're commanded to do that. Jesus just said, give to the one who begs from you. It's good to give to people, but to give to be noticed, to give to be praised. They're not doing it out of love for the, the person they're giving to. They're certainly not doing it out of love for God. Who are they serving? themselves. They're serving, they've made an idol of themselves. Look at me, see me, eyes on me. And that's not how to practice righteousness before others. That's what Jesus is saying in chapter 6. There's a way to do this and this is not it. So in verse, in verse 2 of chapter 6, he says they're, they're giving so that they may be praised by others. They want the praise that belongs to God. In verse 5, they, they pray in the streets so that they may be seen by others. If you, if you pray, if you stand and you pray, and, and the point of your prayer is so that others will notice you, that others will see you, that others will be marveled at you, then, then who are you praying to? Who are you glorifying? Whose glory are you seeking? Your own. You've made yourself an idol for worship. In verse 7 they heap up empty phrases in prayer so that others will hear them. So they use big words and they say lofty prayers, thinking that others will hear them and be impressed by it. In verse 16, they fast. They afflict themselves through fasting so that others will see them. All of this is attempting to stand in the spotlight that belongs to God. The focus the attention, the affections that belong to God, this is an attempt to receive those things. All the praise that belongs to God, it's an attempt to steal His praise. It's an attempt to steal God's glory. So Jesus is saying that we should never pray in public. Is that what He's saying? No. He's just saying that we should never let anyone know anything about our giving Certainly not. We have laws that say we have to report our giving. In fact, Jesus, he prayed in public, and it was the regular practice of the church to have corporate prayer uh, in the early church. So he's not saying that, that you, he's not saying, hey, don't do righteousness in public. He's not, in no way is Jesus saying for you to hide your faith or the fruits of your faith. If he did say that, he would be completely contradicting his prior statement in chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they see your good works. The point is, that last part, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? Whose glory are you seeking? And there's a reason that John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but he must increase. We want Christ to get the glory. As, uh, by manner of example, in our country, in our culture, weddings. Everyone knows 
that the bride at the wedding is supposed to be the most radiant person in the room. That's why that no one is supposed to wear white but the bride. No one is supposed to outdress the bride. That's why the bridesmaids have ugly dresses and the bride has a beautiful, white, intricate, ornate, flowy gown. There's a reason for that. We don't want to steal glory from the bride. We don't want to steal her thunder. It's just rude. It's selfish. It's frowned upon. No one likes someone who does that. I mean, if someone else showed up to a wedding wearing white and the bride is wearing white, everyone's going to talk about not the bride but the woman. Can you believe she did that? I cannot believe she did that just because of the dress she chose to wear or the color. Now look at it from the other perspective, from the groom's perspective. The groom is standing at the front at the altar and he's got his best man beside him and, and, and his groomsman beside him. The bride comes in and she makes her entrance and all eyes are on her because she's the most radiant person in the room. And who's she looking at? The groom. She's looking at him and he's looking at her. She makes her way down the aisle. And you notice that the best man is standing next to the groom. He's trying to get the bride's attention. He's looking at her seductively. He's trying to steal away from the groom the bride's affection and attention. That's what we do when we practice righteousness in order to be seen. It's what we do when we make a show of worship, performative prayer. It's a real danger that the church faces. Corporate prayer is tough for me. It's really difficult for me. Because I don't, I don't want to practice righteousness to be seen. And yet at the same time, I'm cognizant that I am being heard. Preaching is difficult. I don't want to practice righteousness to be seen. I want to do it for the glory of God. And yet at the same time, I'm conscious that eyes are on me. There's a reason Jesus gave us this warning. Beware. Watch yourself when you do good deeds, when you practice righteousness before others. God is zealous for His glory, church. He cares about it. He will not share it, much less will he allow someone else to steal it. It is all over the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God's zeal for his glory. One of the verses or passages that really stand out is just a slap in, I don't want to say slap in the face, but it really knocks you over the head just how passionate God is about his own glory is Isaiah 49, or 48, 9 through 11. God says, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, me, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. I haven't judged you, I haven't punished you, I haven't stricken you, I haven't knocked you dead, I haven't wiped you off the face of the planet. For my sake, for the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. That I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, 
My own sake, he repeats himself, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He's jealous of his glory. He's zealous about it. Why is that? If anyone else in the world cared that much about what you thought about him, you'd think that guy is full of himself. For God, that's not the case. For God to be praised, for God to be seen as supremely valuable, to be treasured above all things as holy and righteous and true, that is good for his creation. It's good for all of us to see God as ultimate, satisfying, desirable, lovable. God is the only being in the universe for whom it is the most loving thing he can do, the most kind and gracious thing he can do is to insist that everyone be enthralled with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your spirit. With everything you've got. That's the first and great commandment. And it is kind and loving for him to do, ultimately kind, ultimately loving for him to insist on that because he is the source of ultimate joy. He is the source of ultimate peace. He is the source of eternal life. We can't get it anywhere else. Nothing and no one can claim that as a source, only God. So if he weren't zealous for his own glory, if he weren't... The, if he weren't uh, insistent that we be enthralled with him, that wouldn't be loving. Imagine if his attitude were more like, eh, you know, treasure me, don't treasure me. Love me, don't love me. It's up to you. Imagine if your spouse treated you like that. Yeah. I want my life, wife to be enraptured with me. I want her to think that is the best man. God made him just for me. I cannot do better. I want her to think that. And I want to think that about her. It is good for us to feel that way about God. If God were just like, meh. That's not love, that's indifference. If I were that way with my spouse, eh, you know, it doesn't matter. You either love me or you don't. That's not love, that's indifference. That's like, that's even worse than hate. Hate at least embodies some kind of emotion. You know, the hate at its root is some kind of love. I love something so much that I hate this. Indifference is just, eh, it's almost worse. God is not that way. God is passionate about whether or not we love him. So I can't give you lasting joy. No one can other than God. Sooner or later, I will disappoint you. The person that you love the most in the world will disappoint you sooner or later. I can't give you lasting peace because I can't give you ultimate meaning. I can't give you ultimate purpose. You know, for a while there, I, I, we had kids and, and I thought, man, this is what it means. This is what it means. To, I mean, to be a parent, to love these. And I was so glad that God gave me girls because I got to dote on them. And that's a, just a, such a neat feeling. And they were daddy's girls, always have been. And um, they just ate it up and I loved it. But you know what happened? They grew up. 
So as something as beautiful and as perfect as daddy-daughter, I can't find ultimate purpose in that. Because they grew up and they stopped needing me. That doesn't happen with God. And I certainly can't give you ultimate and eternal life. Only Christ can do that. But you know what I can do? I can point you to the one who can. I can say, look at him, not me. Look at him. This is so important, God's glory. And, and it's important for us that we seek his glory in all that we do. Our, our very faith, our saving faith is dependent on it. John chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, I, I came in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. So I came in the name of the Lord, and you don't receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you receive him. So if he comes seeking his own glory, you receive, you receive that. He says, verse 44, how can you believe? How can you believe? Where is your faith? How do you have faith when you receive glory from another but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. How can you believe? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is you can't. You can't. There is no faith, no saving faith in those who receive glory from others who just, you just soak up in it. You know, I just, I crave it. I want to be noticed. I want to be praised. I want to be cherished. I want to be worshipped. You're making an idol out of yourself. It's, it's the opposite of saving faith. You can't have it. Where do you get it? Seeking God's glory. Let him be praised. I want to make much of him. Jesus, he spends a lot of time here in these 18 verses. 18 verses talking about practicing righteousness before others and the right heart that we're supposed to have about it. Seeking the glory of God and not our own. Being humble. And we're going to come back to this. There's a lot to say about what's going on in these 18 verses. He gives four examples, one about giving, two of them about prayer, one about fasting. This is a big deal for him. There's a real danger here for all of us. He spends this great amount of time, this big block, a large chunk of his sermon to make one point. Everything that you do needs to be to the glory of God. And it seems, doesn't it, doesn't it seem the more good that we do for others, the more they are likely to praise us? I mean, that just makes sense. It just makes sense. The thing is, that praise can get intoxicating, right? And so we start to crave it. It is, it's challenging for me, I'm just, can I just be honest with you? It's challenging for me uh, to, to, as a, as a preacher, because I'm a, I speak publicly, and the polite thing for you to do after we're all done is to say, that was a good message. So on one hand, I, I want that affirmation. I want to know, Lord, I'm being used by you. I want, yes, this reached your people, and they were touched by it. Thank you for that. And on the other hand, if I seek that praise, I, I'm, I'm doing more harm than good. I'm the, the groomsman standing beside the groom who is trying to make googly eyes at the bride. I don't want to be that. There's real danger here. That's why Jesus spends so much time on it. That's why he says, hey, let your light shine before others. Beware, though. Be careful, though. It can be intoxicating. 
He says, beware, don't be a thief of God's glory. Give it, give, give glory to God where it belongs. And so we'll, Lord's willing, we'll come back and visit some of these things individually over the next couple of weeks. But uh, beware of practicing righteousness and what's in our heart when we do it. Whose glory are we seeking? Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you once again for your word and for this time that we've had together. Lord, I pray that you be glorified. Just like you said in, in your example prayer, let your name be hallowed. Be glorified in our lives, in my life, Lord, in, in our witness. Let it be to, to shine a light on you. Let it be to point to you. Father, keep us safe as we go our separate ways. Protect us, keep us in your perfect will, and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.